Uh, we're going to continue diving into Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 in a minute. But, but I want to start, uh, I want to say about this one story from our, from our trip to, uh, to California. So we went to this conference, and the conference is always, conferences are always fun because you don't have to go do anything. You have to just go and receive and be like a sponge and absorb. And we were with Bethel, so obviously lots of great music, right? I mean, everybody's like, who's going to be leading this time? Because each, it's different leaders every single time. We had some great ones, right? But in the context of that, the conference was great. We learned a lot. God spoke did some great things. We also got to do some really cool things like going out and doing street evangelism, which is always comfortable, uh, even more comfortable going and doing door-to-door evangelism. That's even better, right? And uh, so we got to do that. And it was really, really cool. You can ask one of them on our team, like, they literally had created this Google map. This is really cool. And, they, and basically, they want, YWAM wants to pass out a Bible on a conversation, or ho- at least pass out a Bible, hopefully have a conversation with every single one of their neighbors in the surrounding radius. They literally have a Google app that has, has, has the neighborhood sectioned out in different colors, in different blocks. And so literally, you can go and you can mark on your phone where you've dropped the Bible off. So my, so it was Lisa and I. Where's Lisa? Lisa, stand up just real quick. I want you to see Lisa because she's part of the story. Yay, there's Lisa. All right. So Lisa, Lisa and I were like teamed up and we went with Gary and with Sheila Anderson. Gary, why don't you stand up and wave too because you're so good looking. All right, there you go right there. Now, so that, they, they were our group. And so Lisa and I, we went this direction and Gary and Sheila went this direction. And so we went connected with some people. We got to this one house. Uh, and, I, and we knocked on the door in this really kind of gruff, guttural voice with a few cuss words thrown in there, maybe a lot. I uh, was like, what are y'all doing? Who are you? Why are you at my door? What do you want? And I go, hey, man. That's, you know, Lisa's like, this is awesome. She let me talk. And she just, and I said, hey, we're here. We've, we've partnered with one of the local churches, and we're just walking around going door to door. And we would love to pray for you about anything going on in your life and you pray for. And we just love to pass out this Bible and talk to you real quick. And he goes, are you one of them JWs? Jehovah Witnesses. And I said, no, dude, we believe in the Trinity. We're good, right? We're not the JWs. He's like, well, I don't like them JWs. And he opens the door. So when he opens the door, I mean, Lisa can attest, he's not one of the most inviting figures in the world, right? He looked, looked kind of rough. He looked like we kind of like long beard and like this gruff and hair unkempt. And it was just like, Oh, okay, this is going to be awesome. And so he starts just kind of going off, right? A little bit attacking in the moment, right? And, and so, so Lisa was, she, she just let me talk again, right? And, and she was kind of standing a little bit way behind me. And it was one of those things, right? And so I'm just talking. He starts talking all this stuff. And, and so, and I'm just going to tell you what I said because this is really good for you to know. He goes, well, you can't trust religion. You can't trust that Bible. That Bible, man, it's been like translated thousands of times. I said, let me stop you there. It's been translated once. Bible wasn't translated just once, brother. And I said, I said, you may not know this. It was written in Greek, and then they translated it into English. It's just been translated one time, so it's fairly reliable. And all of a sudden, this guy behind him says something else. And so I decided to stop talking to this guy, and I talked to the guy behind him, right? And so long story short, like, we're just kind of going back and forth, and he's throwing out a couple of some cuss words here and there, right? And it's just all of a sudden becomes fun. Like, this is awesome, right? Lisa's not having much fun at the moment, right? But I'm like, this is it. God's president, right? Because he's so antagonistic. Man, God wants him. So we start talking. Well, he goes, well, just come on in, right? <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay. And so Lisa stays outside. And so I walk in the door, right? Walk in the door. 
And so he goes, let me show you my movie collection. I'm like, yeah. So he starts showing me all his, all of his movies. And he makes some joke, like Sam Kinison. You remember Sam Kinison? Like the, the comedian's like, yeah, I mean, when Jesus comes back, he's going to be a game show, game show host. That's what Sam Kinison, the prophet, said. So I just started laughing. It's like, that's really funny, right? I, he was trying to push my buttons. I said, that's really funny. I said, I doubt it, but maybe. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? And so all of a sudden, guy over here starts talking. And so he goes, well, well Frankie here, this 68-year-old woman, she's had brain surgery several months ago. Or I think she came about a year ago. She's like, she, she believes in the Lord. And I'm like, Frankie, how are you doing? She's like, mm, kind, of, kind of like this, right? And, and so all of a sudden, this guy, Tracy, in the background, he goes, like, we're just talking and, and said something. I forget, Lisa could probably tell you, but someone kind of find out he had a daughter. And I said, hey, tell me about your daughter. And we're just kind of, and again, every other word's a cuss word, literally all the words, you know what I mean, right? He's saying, unafraid, right? Unafraid. And so he's just dropping them, right? And so he says, well, yeah, I mean, my, my daughter, she, she, she got the cancer. Got stuff all over her body, and she's an alcoholic. Da, 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 da. I said, dude, we would love to pray for her. And Tracy goes, well, like, and found out, like, that's his wife. And she goes, well, she's in the back. And, and so they go and, and get her, right? And they bring her up, and we put her in the, and she just immediately starts just weeping, right? She's a drug addict. She's an alcoholic. And so we just laid hands on the very, and I just heard the Lord say as clear as day, I put my hand on her. I said, the Lord wants you to know you're worthy of his love. He just wants you to know that you're his child and he, he designed and created you. And he's very aware of the sickness that you're struggling with. We're going to pray for healing. But even more so, he's aware that you feel so distant that you're not even worthy of getting prayer. And he wants you to know he loves you. And then Lisa, I mean, just brought the fire down, right? By this time, she'd come in the room, right? They made her. And so anyway, so she, no, but she comes in, man, and she just like with a mother's heart, but forceful, just begins praying for her. Just begins praying. We look up, Tracy's got tears just coming down his face. Now the dad had walked out, right? He couldn't handle the presence of Jesus in the room, I'm just saying, right? But he knew he was present, right? So we, so we just pray. She hugs us and then hugs us again, and she walks out because she's just so undone, Right? Dad comes back in. I said, man, what's your name? He goes, my name's Hiley because I'm highly stoned all the time. And I'm the drug dealer on the block. I'm like, bro, that's awesome. <laughs> you know? <laughs> he goes, I said, man, are you good at what you do <laughs> right now? But anyway, just got this, this conversation. And so he goes, well, my real name's Dan. I said, well, that's awesome, man. I said, um, he goes, you, you know, I, I don't ever invite anybody in to my house. And Tracy goes, yeah, man, nobody. And Frankie goes, Mm-mm. like this, right? We got time to pray for Frankie, too. Lisa sat down and talked to Michelle a little bit and then talked to Tracy, just talking about his life, just loving on them. And I looked, I looked at Hiley, and I said, bro, here's the deal, man. I said, I want you to listen to me. I said, when you cry out to Jesus, he will absolutely meet you. And I said, and I want to thank you for offering me alcohol and marijuana. I appreciate that, which he did. But I want you to know this. When Jesus comes and brings his Holy Spirit, what he brings with him and gives to you will far exceed anything you've ever experienced with alcohol and drugs. I said, so you cry out to him. He goes, 
well, give me your name and your phone number so I can call you, <laughs> right? And I said, absolutely. I did not give him Lisa's number, but I gave him mine. And I passed, I took a picture, so later we went and met with Jacob, and I passed, I took a picture on Google Maps of Hiley's house. I said, here's your prayer point, and I want you to go visit him, and so Jacob's going to go back and connect with him, and I can't wait for the phone calls praying from this, mm. almost got through. I was praying for his salvation, for their, their salvation in the house, y'all. This morning, I was praying to Jesus, man. Randall's like, they got to pray at the altar. I'm like, i got to pray for Eileen in, in the house. I'm like, Jesus, you want to save him. He said, I, he said I'm going to call you. He said, I don't expect my daughter to make it through her surgery. Michelle, we prayed for. He said, I'm going to call you in, in a couple of weeks when it's all gone through. I'm like, would you please call me? He said, I may not, may not may answer immediately. I will call you back in 24 hours. So I just invite you to pray with me for Hiley, right? Just pray for the salvation of that home. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, it was one of those, like, from I hate you to, dude, you're so mellow. I don't know why you invited my home. And we know, don't we? Because wherever Jesus goes, people invite him in. They have no idea why. And so this morning, as we dive in, I want to make this point clear. When we read through the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, and we look at chapter 5, last week y'all looked at you know, husbands and wives, and this week we're going to look at the relationship of, of parent and child. I want you to hear me say this. Paul's intention, his primary intention, like the primary purpose of his writing was not to talk about your relationships with your spouse and with your children. Like that's secondary, okay? It's important, but it's secondary. His primary, listen, his primary point of teaching about these relationships is because of this. The world is looking. And Paul wants to make sure that we're doing it right so that people have something to look at. Matthew chapter 5 tells the Jesus, Jesus is talking and he says, You are the light of the world. You are a city set on the hill. And the idea that continues on says, and everyone is looking at you, everyone is watching you, and you want to be a person that people are drawn to. If you know the, the language of Matthew 5, and it says you're a city on a hill, that you are the light of the world. In Jerusalem, there was a primary point that people were coming to, right? And so it was set up on a hill. And so, so in, in, at night, individual lights would be on in the house. But for those who were traveling from a far distance, it looked like all of those lights were just one. And so they knew they were going the right direction. They knew that they, they had this place of safety because it was really unsafe to be on a road specifically at night. But they knew they had this hope if they could see the light in the darkness that they were going to. That was the whole heartbeat of Jesus. We are to be a light. We don't hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, right? That's the song. It's the heartbeat of the verse. And so Jesus is coming and saying, you have to be a light on the hill. Everyone has to be able to look, to find you, and to see you. And Paul is writing saying, so when they see you, they want, we need to be a people who are actually shining our light, not just in public, but in private in the way that we do our lifestyle, because people are looking at every single, every single way we relate to people, and they have to be able to see us and see Jesus in the moment. And so when we dive in this morning, I'm going to look at, yes, how do you parents, a little bit of that, 
But primarily what I want you to see this morning is the heartbeat of Paul saying, people are watching. Now, in 1993, the Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player ever lived, and not LeBron, Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley were at their height. They were at their height of their skill, and everyone wanted to be like Mike. Remember that? Everyone wants to be like Mike. And so they were becoming these role models for, these, for all these people. And so, unfortunately, their outside, the, the outside of the basketball court life did not match their persona of what a role model should be. And so people started talking to them about it, specifically he and Charles, because Charles was one of those very visible, out loud kind of guys, too. And he and Michael Jordan are really good friends, and they were doing things that were very, very questionable in the context of their life. And so someone came up to him one time, a reporter, and started talking to Charles specifically about being a role model and this tension he was facing. And he famously once said, I'm not paid to be a role model. I'm paid to wreak havoc on the basketball court. And there's a level of truth in that. I'm not, I wasn't paid to be a role model. That wasn't my choice. I just wanted to play some basketball. I'm here to play basketball, to wreak havoc on the basketball court, and I'm doing a good job of that. And there's a level of truth in that. But the unfortunate reality a lot of times is that role models don't get a choice in that, do they? And so Carl Malone, though one of the great basketball players, honestly a God-fearing basketball player at the time, played for the Utah Jazz, he came back and was quoted in Sports Illustrated by saying this in response to what do you think about what Charles said? And he said this, Charles, I don't think it's your decision to make. We don't choose to be role models. We are chosen. Our only choice is whether to be a good role model or to be a bad one. As we look at Paul's instructions here in Ephesians 6, I'm going to be making the argument that Paul is telling his readers to be very aware of the life that they are living in these primary relationships. Last week it was your marriage. This week is going to be parent with child, and next week it would be slave and master. And we're going to talk about that, what that means in the context of our culture. But it's specifically talking about these relationships, right, that these primary relationships that you see in the home. And Paul's making a point, like, you have to be living such a life that when people see you, it truly is a light to them because they're traveling on a long road and they need to be able to see light. They need to be able to see Jesus. They need to be able to see godliness when they're looking inside of your relationships that you're in. And so with that, the idea for us is that relationships have kingdom implications, don't they? Our relationships have kingdom implications. People are watching. Whether we like it or not, we don't get a choice in it, do we? Jesus says, hey, you are the light of the world, whether you like it or not. You are the light of the world. You are a city that I'm going to place on a hill, and when people see you, they need to see godliness. So let's begin here. Let's read Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. We'll build off it this morning. It says, children, it's speaking to our youth. So if you were a child still living at home with your parents, raise your hand so I can see where you are. Hi, I need to see them high. But then if you're, if, put them up high. Okay, thank you very much. You win. She stood up. Now, so you represent children here. All right. How many of you are children, as in you have parents in life? Whether living or dead. All right. So what I want you to see is this. Everyone, so there are children at home specifically today, and this applies to them. Applies to you. All of us also are still children. 
And so this applies to us, the children part, okay? Now, how many of you are parents? This is not everybody. How many of you are parents? That's going to apply to you. We're talking about parents. I'm just letting you know. Here we go. So it says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment that has a promise to it. So in the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy chapter 5, there are ten commandments. So he starts going down. You should not murder anybody. That's really important, right? You should have no other gods before me. And the very first one that has a promise is, so it says, honor and obey your parents. And when you do it, so it's a, it's the first, it's the first law, the first comport they're called to obey, right? That when they do it, it comes with a promise of blessing. It's the very, it's the very first commandment, okay? So he says, uh, children, you'll obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you. Here's the blessing, the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So let's begin here this morning. Christianity in the culture of Paul's day, it was seen as a subversive movement in the culture. It was subversive. People didn't naturally trust it because, honestly, its teachings, its beliefs were so outlandish and so radical. Think about it. No one believed in a resurrection from the dead. That was ludicrous. When Paul was preaching in Athens, they laughed, their, they laughed themselves out of the Areopagus, of the teaching area, because they thought it was just so crazy that people would believe in a resurrection from the dead. So because of this, the church, in a very real sense, lived under a microscope from those who were in the culture and who lived around them. One of the great tensions, I want you to hear this, and why Paul, like, because you have to ask yourself, why would Paul even bring this up? There wasn't, a, there wasn't an issue going on, necessarily, right? Like, there wasn't issues with families. Like, he's writing this letter to every single church in the region. So he's not talking to a specific situation. So why would he bring it up? And I would simply say this. One of the great tensions that impacted the message of Jesus was the shift and how the church viewed established household relationships. Basically, because of the way that the church was handling and viewed the marriage relationship, the parent-child relationship, and how they viewed slaves in the context of their culture, it was so subversive and so difficult, it was actually creating a tension for the gospel being proclaimed and being received in the culture. It caused a divide within the culture that Paul here in Ephesians 5 and 6 felt the need to address. He's speaking about these relationships in a way, listen, he's speaking about them in one way, one that honors the good news of Jesus. What's that? He changes all relationships and brings equality to all people. That's the good news. Yet he does it in a way that honors the healthy parts of the cultural expectations. So they don't become irrelative to the culture they lived among. He wanted to create a connection point for them. Paul is writing because he cares about the primary relationships and the way the church is handling them and their view of them and their expression of them, while at the same time caring for those who lived outside the four walls and making sure they weren't living highly, highly irrelevant to them. So, the, so what happens here? Let's begin with the backstory. Why is this so difficult? The backstory is this. Like women... And like slaves, children in the p- culture of Paul's day, they had no rights. 
They had no inherent value in and of themselves, especially girls. In the household laws of the day, fathers specifically had all the authority in the home. They could punish as harshly as they wished. They could put their children to work and even had the legal right to put their children to death if they wanted to. Children had no legal rights. Women had no legal rights. Slaves had no legal rights. Therefore, in Paul's teaching, in the moment, he works to make a connection to the cultural norm of the day while addressing the cultural norm that he is confronting. So he is naming a connection that they have with culture, and he's confronting things that are opposed to the gospel. So let's dive into the instruction. The first step of Paul is to name the commonality found in verses 1 and 2. The commonality says, children, obey parents and Lord, for this is right, honor your father and mother. We all understand commonality. When you're speaking with someone about the gospel of Jesus, or you're meeting someone for the very first time, what is what are you trying to do? You try to reach a place of commonality. Hey, do we know anybody in common? Hey, who do you, do you root for a football team, uh, SEC, right? Whatever it may be, you're trying to find a place of commonality. Let me tell you what happened with let me tell you what happened with Lisa and I when we met Hailey. We met Hailey Stone. We walked in the door, right? He finally invited us in. First connection was we both had a level of distaste for the JWs. His was more harsh than mine. I'm just saying, right? We had a level of distaste, a level of, a lack of confidence in their theology, right? That was number one. Number two, number two, he loved movies. People, he said, all right, you can come on in. Look at my movie collection, right? And so that's awesome, man. Like, he starts going through his favorite movies. Tells about Sam Kennison. I'm like, yeah, I remember him. Ha, 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 right? Blah, blah, blah. He's like talking about the movies. And then I look over. He had a Washington Redskins helmet sitting there on the wall. I said, I said yo, dude, are you a uh, you Redskins fan? He goes, yeah. I said, what do you think about Dan Snyder? I can't stand him in person. He's like. Who's the owner of the Washington Redskins? All right? Oh my gosh. And then he starts talking about football. I talk football. So we talk football for about, I don't know, it seemed like it seemed like it was just a beautiful moment, right? It's like we're heaven on earth talking about football, right? No, we're still talking about head football. And then we had this whole connection point. And all of a sudden, like everything, like part of the it just begins to dissolve the tension in the room, right? We engaged a commonality that allowed for relationship to happen. I didn't sit there and say, turn or burn, baby. I didn't do that. Turn to Jesus and burn in hell. I didn't do that. I just reached a place of commonality. Paul starts out in the moment and says, all right, let's talk about where we agree with culture. We all agree that children should obey parents in the Lord, for this is right. We, parents, children, you are called to honor your father and mother. The idea of obedience of, the, of subordinate children, simply those who are under their parents, it was an a cultural expectation of the day. Paul affirms it's also a biblical expectation of children in the Christian church. Everyone agreed. We are on the same page. We're on the same page, both inside and outside of the church, that children should honor and obey their parents. And I'll just say this, honoring parents, like I could, you could spend a long time talking about this. They don't spend much time talking about it here. But we all understand I think we all inherently, even intuitively, understand what it means to honor our parents. Right? One of the definitions I looked up, and it's on the screen, I apologize, is honor speaks to the form that love assumes towards those who are placed above us by God. Honor, it's the form that love takes towards those who are placed above us by God. 
We are honoring. We are looking. We're not intentionally arguing. We're not trying to be obtuse and difficult. We are going to listen. We're going to obey in the things that are not opposed to God's will, right? We're going to respect. We're not going to talk back. Like they're coming in the moment saying, we must honor. We must take this, this stance, this form that when we have a relationship, when children have a relationship with their parents, that they live, they may not respect them, may not respect their decisions, may not respect the things that they're doing, but they will honor the place that God's placed them in their life. We were praying for someone earlier, and I was talking, coming up and having a conversation about a tension that they had with a parent. We haven't talked in years, and this is the reason why. And I'm like, wow, that's a really great reason, right? Really difficult. And the long story short was we talked, I just said, the place of honoring, specifically with those who have been difficult parents, is this. In this, Paul comes and says, we don't honor and obey parents because culture tells us to. We honor and obey in obedience to Scripture because it pleases the heart of Jesus. They were to honor and obey because it pleased Jesus. The teaching of Paul finds its equal five different places in the New Testament. I'm going to read. I'm not going to read all these to you because it's also the same thing. I'm going to tell you what scriptures they are. They're on the screen. You can write them down if you want to. You can, like, proof text me later. Matthew 15, 4. Write it down if you want to. Matthew 19, 19. These are all red letter edition, right? Jesus is speaking. Mark 7, 10. Mark 10, 19. Luke chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus says, children, honor and obey your parents as unto the Lord. And so if you're a child this morning and you raised your hand earlier, I want you to know the expectation of Jesus that's in agreement with culture is that you live your life in honor and obedience towards your parents. And so in this story, this guy's like, it's really hard. Because honor is really difficult sometimes for those who are not living life in an honorable way. It's hard. And this guy, one one of our friends told us one time, he said, I got to this place where I recognized that honor was less about my, my, my parent and more about my status of my own heart before the Lord. And obedience to him. So he said, I sat before the Lord and said, okay, I've been convicted about honoring my parent who I've hated for like 25 years of my life, God, I recognize this is, this is a me issue, not a dad issue. So we prayed and said, God, would you help me to find a place to honor my father? He said, for, day, for several days, and he said, finally I reached a point where I said, the only thing in my dad's life that I could actually honor was that he worked and provided for my family. So I thank the Lord for that. Thanked and honored my, this thank for the Lord. Then I called my dad and said, hey, all of this stuff I want to say, I want to honor you and thank you for the way that you provided for our family. That was it. It was one thing, only one. But what did it do in the heart of this person? Well, it put them in agreement with Jesus about honoring a person who had been very dishonorable. And so the context of our life is Paul is saying, we have this commonality. We're all supposed to live a life here of, of honor and obedience. But why do we do it here? It's very simple. 
Because no one outside the four walls is willing to humble themselves and do that. And when we do it, what happens? All of a sudden, we become a light in the darkness for those who have no hope in the context of the relationships. And people like Hylia are like, man, I don't know what it is about you. You're just so mellow. No, it's Jesus. It's called the spirit. Of, I said this. Now I see the spirit of peace inside of me. That's cool, man. You can call it mellow, right? Man, I mean, you see it. We live this life. Paul's coming and saying, listen, there's a commonality. And Paul's making it clear that the command to honor and obey parents, is, it's of eternal importance. It's eternal importance. It was at the beginning. Deuteronomy chapter 5. It was in, in Jesus' red letter words. And an honor of obedience of parents was given here again by Paul to say, it's eternal in nature. We are called to be a light on a hill on the way that we humble ourselves and submit ourselves in this relationship of honor and obedience, even to those maybe who are dishonorable. And I know it's hard. I'm not pretending like it isn't. But we honor and we obey. Paul's saying, listen, guys, it's really important. They're watching. And it's not an unhealthy way. It's just a reality. You're a city on a hill. So how you're doing your relationship with your children, how you are childing, as I say, being a child to your parents, right? I mean, that word up, it's cool, right? How you're childing. I mean, it's really important. People are watching. But then Paul comes and affirms something. He says, hey, there's a promise that they don't know about that we do know about. Let's talk about it real quick. I want to say it's still in place. The commandment from Deuteronomy chapter 5, now seen here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, says, Honor your father and mother. Hey, this is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it that it may go well. So when we honor and father, when we honor your father and mother, it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. It's always, always powerful in the New Testament when a writer affirms what's been true for thousands of years. Paul is simply affirming about this honor and obedience, defining a child's relationship with their parents. And what he says is when you do, it produces a blessing. As we live in our, as we live honoring parents, obeying parents, when we live in this context, right, then it produces a blessing. It goes well with you and you live along the land. But here's the thing. Hear this. Contextually speaking, in context of what Paul's saying, he's not saying it brings a personal blessing for you. He's not saying that. What he's saying is it brings a communal blessing. It br- brings a blessing to the community into the land that you are living in. That's what he's getting at. In essence, when, when children, when children honor and obey parents, it produces peace in the community, in the family, it produces prosperity, and it produces a blessing in the community as a whole. Have you ever been a place or seen a community where, where, where children, they push on their parents, they argue all the time with their parents, they dishonor their parents, and they do it in a very, very unhealthy way? What do you say it creates when you see it? An unhealthy c- culture. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen it in people groups and families and relate. You've seen it. When you see dishonor and disobedience defining a relationship, what happens? You see tension and you see a lack of health. And Paul's just simply naming it, saying, listen, we know this to be true. We've been naming it since the days of Moses. When 
in our community, children by nature obey and honor parents. It just produces blessing. Why is that important? Because they're outside our community and they believe this, but there's tension happening. And we say, listen, the body of Christ, we want to embrace this because we know when children honor and obey, when we as children honor and obey our parents as unto the Lord, it produces a blessing. And we then have this blessing of this promise. And we say they look in and highly goes, man, there's just something different about how you're doing this. There's this, you're just different, right? He's drawn to the light. And he said, Paul's saying, we know that when they are outside and they look in and they're like, why is this, why is this happening? Peace and, and prosperity among the people. They're like, we, we just, we want a part of this. We want a part of this. This is evangelistic in nature. How we parent as a city on a hill, as a role model for the life. They, say, they look in and say, Paul's saying, listen, do it and live it, because when we do, people are drawn to it. This is his heartbeat here. This is the heartbeat. All right. So in this, Paul, so Paul, again, is agreeing with the culture in which they live, the age-old teaching of honor and obedience. It is the best thing. And as, and listen, and as a Christian people, as we continue to live up to the standard I mean, it just create, and healthy relationships are formed. Then we become a light, and people are drawn to us. But here's the third part. This is where Paul kind of begins. So, so those are commonalities. So first was commonality. Then he talks about the reality of what it produces, not only in the church, but how, it's a, how we become living water, right? We become a wave, in a sense. We become a living water to those who are outside of our community who are looking for ways to parent in a healthy way. And then lastly, Paul then shows the power of the gospel. He shows the power of the gospel by, by giving a voice to the voiceless. He gives a voice to the voiceless who are in these relationships. And then he gives some practical instruction. Look what he says. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's super practical, right? It's like one sentence of teaching for, for parents. And, and it's important I say parents here because so Paul was speaking to fathers because in that culture, the fathers define the home. But we know here, right, it's fathers and mothers together who are working together as parents. And so it's right to use the phrase parents here. But fathers, parents, don't provoke your children to anger. Let me say this. This is really, really hard for our culture today to understand this. It is almost impossible to overstate Almost impossible to overstate how dramatic and revolutionary it was in Paul's instructions here that he named children or that he had named wives last week or he's going to name slaves next week. We cannot overstate how dramatic and revolutionary it was here in the eyes of culture. These people did not carry any inherent worth or value. They had no value in and of themselves except how they are valued by the male figures in their life. Value had to be given to them by males. It wasn't inherently belonging to them. The reason Paul names them and gives them value is simple. Because Jesus named them on the cross. He died for them. It gave them value. The cross of Jesus gave value to every human being who was living because every single human being 
was a, had the gospel, the good news available to them, right? And so he gave them rights. He gave them value, human beings who were valued by Jesus. Valued by him. And so in this moment here, Paul uses this word children. I want you to hear this. He uses the word children and not male. Not boys. Why is that important? Because children have no value, but let alone girls. Girls were never valued in the culture. And here, he just names children in general, taking boy and girl, putting them together as one and saying, all right, parents, I'm going to speak to you. They have value. You need to recognize that. And how you treat them well needs to be with great value. He's giving them value. He's giving them worth in the moment. Paul is highlighting the cultural difference. He's doing it unashamedly because he recognizes how important equality was to the heart of Jesus and the message of the gospel. Yes, the church here is different than culture. But here in this point, he's saying this is the nature of the gospel. And everyone outside of our four walls needs to see and to hear this because everyone has value. The question we have to ask ourselves is, how are we doing it valuing? Like, do you va- Listen, hear this. Like, this is talking about parent-child, but it's really important to recognize that Paul is naming a value of every human being. He's definitely naming the child-parent here, right? But in Jesus and Paul's words, he would never say those people. He would never say those people to describe anyone in the world. Have you ever used that phrase, well, those people? I don't care where you stand on the platform of immigration. I don't. I'm not going to make a political statement this morning, but all I'm going to say is this. No matter where you stand, you have to recognize they aren't those people. They are children of God who have equal status with you in the eyes of God of value as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one is those people. No one is our enemy. God is, we're not opposed to anyone. It's never them and us. It's only God's people. Your theology has to define how you view every single person in the world. When I walked into Hiley's house, I didn't put him down here and me up here. He was not my subordinate. He was equally loved by Jesus. Jesus equally died for him. Jesus equally gave his life for him. And as I stood there, he was someone who in the moment was so highly loved by God, he put Lisa Stevens in his house. I just happened to be there with her. Loved. And so when we come in this moment, it's not just child, it's how we view everybody. And Paul's coming and saying, man, these relationships are highly important, but it really involves how we view everybody. How we view everyone. Paul is highlighting the church here is different than the culture, but culture needs to listen. So now, in regards to the teaching of Paul, he just only took a few verses here. It's pretty straightforward teaching here, so I'd encourage you to go read it yourself. There are lots of books. I'm just going to dive into this very, very simply. Parents, in this, these verses, number one, they are to model for the world how Jesus has changed the dynamic of this relationship. They are to model by, listen, parents are to refrain from a level of harshness 
and a level of anger and parenting that overwhelms their children. We can't live in reaction. We have to live in response. When our children act, we don't respond with harshness. We don't respond in anger. Anger, Paul's specifically naming this as an issue here. No, we respond with grace and mercy and compassion and love. Here's the great problem for us. We grew up in a culture. I know that I did. My dad and I talked about it. He's repented to me. I just did what was modeled to me as a parent, Steve, and I'm sorry. I was really angry and harsh all the time. I'm like, yes, yes, you were. Yes, you were. I'll be honest with you. My go-to as parenting <laughs> is to be loud, is to be harsh, because that was modeled for me. And so I read this and I go, okay, guys, would you come join me on the anger harshness boat? I'm leading the charts, right? That's a tension for me. And Paul's coming in the moment and name says, God, as parents, we have a responsibility. Why? Because people are looking at us. And it's not the only reason, but because we want to model what Jesus modeled for us. Thankfully, Jesus did not model for us in his relationship to us a harshness and an anger. No, he was filled with compassion and mercy. He didn't break a bruised reed. He didn't snuff out a smoldering wick. That involves care and kindness and tenderness. It doesn't mean sometimes you're not hard, but you're not harsh. And so Paul's coming to the moment saying, listen, parents, you, your children are to be a priority. That's number two. Shouldn't be a priority. They get the best of your energy. They get the best of your emotions. They get the best of your time. Do your children get the best of you or leftovers? What do they get of you? Children, do your parents get the best of you? And Paul's coming in the moment saying, man, as parents, children are a priority. And you have a responsibility now. You have a responsibility to teach, to train, and to nurture them towards the life that they're called to live in Christ. Hear this. Sunday, listen, children's church is not to be the primary disciple maker. Their youth group is not to be the primary disciple maker. Their Christian school is not to be the primary disciple maker. The primary disciple maker is parents. You don't give that right to anybody else. Everybody's simply partnering with you. And as you stand before God, you can't say, well, I sent them to children's church. You can't say I sent them to, to youth. You can't say I sent them to a Christian school. Jesus can say, what'd you do to train up, to raise up and disciple your children? That's what I was going to ask you. How did you do? Did you give the best of your energy and time? Did you make them your priority? Work is secondary. Why? Listen, people who are at jobs and you give way too much of your time. Why do you give the best of your energy to something you will not be at forever? When you will have your children and your spouse forever. Shouldn't the forever get the best of you? That's what Paul's saying. The best of you is to be, make them your priority. Everything else comes secondary. Well, it may affect my promotion. Who cares? Be promoted in the eyes of God. Become a primary light on the side of a hill. Now I'm preaching. Here we go. Here we go. The idea is clear. Parents, hear this. You have power. You have power in your parent-child relationship. 
by God, meaning that you have ultimate responsibility in how you're wielding it. And it's either going to build up or to tear down. Those are your options. And Paul is calling parents to serve their children by building them up. By building them up. And so I want you to hear me say this morning, in that even, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. So yes, I'm getting passionate because I feel this is like something really strong. But there's no condemnation. Like I literally look at that going, God, I'm so convicted by this. And please remember this. Condemnation sends you into a hole of worthlessness. Conviction leads you to hope. But they both begin in the same place. I'm guilty. Both begin with guilt. I am guilty of this. But conviction says, but in Christ there is hope. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I never forget, I can. I can be a great parent. Why? Because Ephesians 1 through 3 happened. God's spirit is in me to do imaginably more than I could ever dream or imagine as a parent. The spirit of God is in me to empower me to do immeasurably more than I could ever dream or imagine as a parent, as a spouse. So I want you to hear this part here. Why is this so important? Why is this so important? Hear this. Our, our personal family, our personal family unit is a gauge for our integrity. Our personal family unit is a gauge for our integrity. We are usually our best selves outside the four walls when people are watching, meaning we are usually our worst selves behind closed doors with those that we love. As children, we're called to honor parents. As adults, we're called to teach, develop, and nurture our children. We must be the same person both behind and outside the four walls of our house. And Paul's coming and saying it's so imperative because the highly stones of the world are standing out here looking in. And when they see you and they see your relationships, I want them to see Jesus. I want them to see the light of the world. I want them to see that you're giving your priority as parents. Children, I want to make sure that you're being obedient. And adult parents, I want you to make sure that you're modeling for your children what honor and obedience to your parents looks like. The idea is, parents, we have a responsibility as children, our childing, to make sure that we are honoring and obeying our parents no matter what age they are, no matter how terrible they have been and how dishonorable they seem, we need to be before the Lord and before our children honoring, modeling for our children what that looks like so it can maintain and stay in the family. You can't make your children do something. You don't have, it's, a hard to, it's hard to make your children do something that you're not doing yourself. So we have to be responsible. Why? For our children's sake, for the world's sake. As children, we're called to this. For how we live is a testimony about Jesus to the world in which we live. And here's the thing. We are role models of Christ-likeness in all of our relationships, whether we have chosen it or not. Whether we've chosen it or not. And as Carl Malone said, the great prophet of our day, our only choice is to be a good role model or a bad one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for your love for us as parents. We thank you for your love for us as children. We thank you, God, you never call us to do something or to be something you will not empower us to do or to be. And so, Father, we come into this moment and we just recognize that parenting is hard. God, you parent us all day. Your heart's been broken again and again and again by those who 
who deny you, who do not honor and obey you. God, it, it breaks your heart. You know how you know how hard parenting is. You come with great mercy and compassion. Jesus wasn't your only son. You've said, hey, now you've called us brothers and sisters of Jesus, and we're all your children. We're called children of God. So, Father, I thank you for that. You know how hard it is to parent. God, you know how hard it is to be a child. I just recognize even this morning as I'm talking, Lord, there are those who say, Steve, what you're asking and honoring obeying my parents is so hard. You have no idea what they did. And I'd say, you're right. But I'm asking this morning, Jesus, that you would bring people to that place saying, even though they've been dishonorable, I still before the Lord have a responsibility. And I pray, God, you would help people along in their journey to honor. And we pray, Jesus, that you really would create here a culture where honor is valued in all relationships. The people are all the equal. There's no those people in our church. It's just one people, one body. And we say, Jesus, have your way in us. We pray this morning. This morning, I invite you to respond. We have offering baskets like we always do, and a giving box back there, and an iPad out there. If you want to give online, you can do that. Just ask, again, you respond with your gifts and offerings before the Lord. This is just, again, giving back to Jesus what he's already given to us. It's just an act of obedience. We have communion available here every Sunday. Why? Because we want to recognize the body broken, the blood poured out from Jesus, the good news of Jesus. That he is our perfect parent, that he loves us, he fought for us to make sure we had a way to get back into relationship with him. Ministry teams will be available on both sides. I mean, they want to just they want to pray down the wave of God. I mean, these are like wave makers. Our prayer teams are wave makers, I man. They are like praying the wave of God, the presence of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit into your life to 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 heal, to mold, to shape. And so anything you need prayer for, whether it's something you need healing for physically or maybe you just want to pray about something with your parents or with your children, we'd love to do that. But you respond to the Lord, please. I'm officially done this morning, so whenever you're ready to leave, you are free to go. Um, don't forget Tuesday night, Scotland team, and then for our night of prayer and worship, we'll invite you at 6 o'clock for the testimony time, 7 o'clock for prayer and worship. But you respond to the Lord, please. You guys have a great week. We love you. We'll see you soon.